Um, and I'm going to read from, it's on page 1089, uh, John chapter 20, page 1089, John chapter 20, 1, 1090, turn over the page, 1090, chapter 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred metres. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. What a delightful story at the end of John's Gospel. Let me, let me pray briefly. Um, oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for these words about and from your Son, as we look at them now, uh, please help us to to hear your Spirit's voice uh, in the words uh, we look at together, uh, so that we might know and trust Jesus. Amen. Are you a foodie? I mean, there's there's those of us uh, there's those of us who like food, and then there's there's foodies, aren't there? Um, you know the kind. Uh, here's a little quote from. One dictionary uh, I find uh, some of us who are just a bit more interested in food, not not processed stuff, love a little pop up restaurant, uh, serving all the latest vegan kind of things. Uh, maybe that's you. And if you are a foodie, well then you'll love the end of John's Gospel, uh, won't you? Because as we as we read it, it it's all organic catering, uh, locally sourced foods uh, in a, delivered in a pop up venue. I'm not sure about sustainable fishing, but we'll leave that one aside for the moment. But it. Apart from that, though, it is a funny way to end uh, John's Gospel, though, isn't it? Don't you think? 
When you think back to, to what the, the kind of main thrust uh, of John's gospel has all been about, persuading us about Jesus, and that he is God the Son, this, this one God who we encounter in the Bible, and yet who is three persons, and Jesus Christ is God the Son shown up on earth. He's the one, uh, the claim is made, who gets, gets to, to draw the line between right and wrong, and then he says to each of us, wrong side of the line. That God looks on our nature and frowns. And that hell is ready to swallow us up whole. But he says he's also come as the Lord, the Christ. God's long promised suffering, rescuing king, come to, to take our place. Die the death that we should die under God's frown. So that if we trust him, he can bring you through. Give you forgiveness and life again uh, with God. He's claiming to be, Jesus is claiming to be, John all through his book is claiming that he is the only real savior on offer to the world. The whole world. This is the only savior. The only savior that's on offer. The only genuine savior that's on offer to you and me. It's a bit edgy as soon as you hear it like that, don't you? And if you if you really hear him, you know he just doesn't sit comfortably with our culture uh, any more than he would have sat comfortably, comfortably did sit comfortably in the, the culture of his day. So, so after all that drama, when you hear the message of this book, it does feel like a funny way to end, doesn't it? Verse 12, come and have breakfast. All the things you could say, your parting shots, the savior of the world says, come and have breakfast. I mean, it might help, but I think about it in our house, trying to get our little fellas ready for school in the morning. I'd love to be able to shout, Oi! The saviour of the world's in the kitchen. And he says, come and have breakfast now. Maybe that would get them down the stairs. But it's a funny end, isn't it? Which makes you think, if you've been reading through John at all, and you know the way he writes, it makes you think, is he doing something else? And you suspect he is. And that's right. And we could miss it in verse 1. Our translation puts it this way, and there's lots of good reasons for writing it this way. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. That's just a natural way to read it. But the text actually says something a bit more like this. Afterwards, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. He revealed himself like this. And you understand what John's telling about this story at the end. Jesus is doing something in this story, so you'll see him. You ever had that experience of, of going on holiday somewhere, you get to a cottage, maybe it's by the coast, and um, you walk around, you dump your bags, and you walk into a room and there's a window there, uh, and you see the view through it. I've been, reading, I've been reading The Lord of the Rings with my boys, and towards the end, talking... It paints the picture of this scene. He says, the rain parts, and then you see it. White shores. And beyond that, a far green country, all under a swift sunrise. And it just captures your imagination, and you're drawn to it. And you, you know that feeling of going on holiday somewhere, and you walk into a room, and you see the window, and through it, it's like that, white shores, beyond a far green country, under a swift sunrise, and you know this is the place to be on holiday we found it, and you love that window. But really, it's not the window. It's just an ordinary thing, isn't it? The window's the ordinary thing. It's that through the window, 
gives you a view onto something else that you're, you're drawn to, you want to go to. This funny ending. Come and have breakfast. It's really a window. It's a window through which you see Jesus like a swift sunrise over a far green country, standing on white shores so that you're drawn to him. So come and see this God that you meet in John's gospel. Right at the end, what is he like? And here's, here's the first thing to have in mind. He tells us Jesus Christ is he's the all-knowing Lord. You, you pick up the story in verse 2. Seven of the disciples, seven of the disciples are, are up in Galilee. They've gone back there. And Simon Peter's going fishing. The others go too. And they're out all night, catch nothing. Verse 4, early in the morning. Sun's not really up yet. And there's 100 yards, 100 meters uh, from shore. Someone calls out, friends, haven't you any fish? The, the, the word there for friends, it's kind of guys, lads. Haven't you any fish? And then he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And immediately, boom, loads of fish. They're hauling in the nets. John said, back in verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He doesn't tell us why, really. It might be, it's just because it's before sunrise, it's a bit dark. It might be the distance from the shore and the waves and the way sound echoes off, all that kind of stuff. It, they just didn't hear his voice clearly. It, it Maybe they were stopped from recognizing him. seems to happen sometimes. Maybe they stopped from recognizing him so they could see something else, whatever the reason. The point where the loads of fish come in, verse 7, the penny drops for John. And he says, it's the Lord. It's him. And you think, why, why does the penny drop at that point? Uh, why does the penny drop after he's heard the words and they, they find the fish? All through John's gospel, various points, you, you feel as you read it, and maybe you'll go back and read it as we've been through it once, maybe you go back and read it again, you, you see John keeps at various points wanting to draw attention to things, he, he does it in a, a writer's kind of way, um, not, not pushing our faces right into it, just at times things keep coming up again and again until you get it, if you read it carefully, and one of the things seems to be Jesus' knowledge about things. Back in John chapter 4, Verse 29, Jesus met a, a woman by a well, and some would have said she was morally questionable. Jesus never seems to have met her before, and yet he knows all the details about her life. Kind of opens it up in front of her. Still speaks kindly to her. And she says later to the people in her village, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He knows me never even met him before. He's got all sorts of kind of knowledge about me. Towards the end of John's gospel, there's other things, but towards the end, we saw it the other week, chapter 20, verse 27, Thomas, one of the disciples, wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to them after his resurrection, and he would not believe the others that Jesus was alive again. And in a locked room, said to them all, unless I see Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So a week later, Jesus shows up 
And he more or less quotes Thomas's words back to him. And he says this to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. It's an awkward moment, isn't it, when someone quotes to you things that you thought you'd said in private and you think, oh, gosh, who told them? It's what Jesus is doing here. He knows what Thomas said. He seems to know everything. Sea of Galilee, apparently, 167 square kilometers, and he knows where the fish are, from the shore, in the dark. Just knows. Tense conversations in a locked room. You ever had one of those? He knows every word that's been said. Secret shames hidden inside a young woman's heart. The all low lie open before him. You see what Jesus is revealing about himself? He's the all-knowing Lord. And his knowledge is not hindered by the depths of the sea or by locks on your door, by the privacy of your own thoughts. He knows everything. He's the all-knowing Lord. Everything about you. He knows it all. And that kind of knowledge is what theologians would call omniscience. God knows everything because it's God's knowledge and it's it's troubling, isn't it? You, you've had that, that experience where you bump into someone and they say, oh, do you know what? The other week, now who was it? Who was it? I met someone who said they knew you from way back. Now who was it? And your mind's racing. Who was it? What, what did they know about me? What was my life like at that point? It can be uncomfortable, isn't it? You, you wonder who it was, what they said. Here's a God who knows everything, who's all about you. If someone has knowledge on you, they kind of have a power over you, don't they? They have a kind of leverage because you're wondering what will they do with that knowledge? What is this God like? This God who knows everything, has heard everything, he's seen every secret thought in your heart. What's he like? story at the end as Jesus reveals himself. Here's a second thought from it. It, Jesus Christ, he's the self-giving provider. In verse 9, they they land on the shore. And when they get there, Jesus already seems to have a bit of a barbecue going. There's, There's some fish that's cooking and Jesus has bread there. And then he tells them to bring some of the fish they'd caught. And Peter drags the net ashore. He's always the impetuous one. And there's a load of fish. Someone must have decided to count it just to figure it out. Oh, these fish, 153. Commentaries will tell you all sorts of things about the significance of the numbers. If you want to know that, you can read it up yourself later. But Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Now stop for a moment. And you, you think about who's saying this in these words. How do you think about God? How do you imagine him as you, as you think about him? How do you think about the way God relates to the world he's made? John's been telling us all through his gospel, this Jesus, he's the all-knowing Lord. He's God. And so in this story, here's God being God on the small stage, showing you what he's like. And what he's doing is providing 
for his creation. He's providing a meal for those he's called to himself. And you might say, well, come on, David, let's be honest, though. They, they brought a little bit more to the table, didn't they? He might have had a couple of fish. They brought 153. Yeah, but you know Jesus provided those as well. They'd had nothing before he said, right side of the boat. There they all are. What do you do with a God who acts like this? It makes you think, doesn't it, about those of us who reach the top in our chosen fields. People like me reach the top in our chosen fields. Or those of us whose success allows us to have nice homes, nice holidays, nice schools. What do we do with our positions? Being at the top. Do other people serve us? Okay, there are sometimes, isn't there? There are sometimes when, when other people have to make the tea. But I remember a former vicar boss, uh, Hugh, he used to say to me when I worked with him, look, David, if I, if I spend all my time in the kitchen, I won't be doing my job properly. There's some other things I, I need to do. And you kind of get that, but he'd always follow up with, but if I never spend any time in the kitchen, I shouldn't have this job. But here's a man who understands that just having a position doesn't make you above other people. It doesn't put you above providing and doing things for other people. What what do you do with a God who is at the very top and yet provides for his creation? That's what he's always doing. We'll show you it in the small scale, providing a meal for people. And there's some who might think, well, look, you can say that, but I've worked hard. I've worked hard to get uh, where I am. I've used my brains I've used my opportunities. I deserve my station in life. And look, there's something in that. Well done. If you have taken what you've got and worked really hard, as long as we remember, even our brains and our opportunities, just like Peter and his 153 fish, we all had nothing apart from what Jesus provides. We've got a window here into, into what Jesus is like. He is the world's provider, your family your food that you like, the, the summer warmth this past week, your intellect. You've got good brains, brilliant. Enjoy it, make use of it. Your career success, the best friend who's, who's coming to visit. But be careful not to think that you just happen to find them on the right side of the boat of your life, that those things were yours as, as just a right that you were entitled to that born where you were born, being able to go to the universities you went to, getting the jobs that you've got, or somehow you were entitled to them. All these things are gifts from the provider of everything. And look, even, even though that would be enough, that would be enough of an insight into Jesus, that he is the provider, I think John would say, look, think harder. This meal with bread and fish, mind you of anything else because Jesus in John's gospel he provided another meal of bread and fish do you you remember that back in chapter 6 it says this uh, Jesus then took the loaves and he gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted he did the same with the fish John tells us there was about 5,000 men there Probably men, probably women and children as well. So a huge number. He provided for them as much as he wanted, as they wanted. And then in the conversation that follows, Jesus explained this feeding, this 
provision was really a sign pointing beyond itself to something else. It was meant to teach you something. Chapter 6, verse 51, that I should say, not just verse 5. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh. He's the self-giving provider. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the whole world. And you think, what's that all about? We're meant to eat Jesus. How does that work? Well, no, he'd already explained what he means by eating his flesh back in Chapter 6, 35, Jesus says, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Here's the meal Jesus provides for the world. He gives his life up to death on a cross to pay for the sins of others, and if you want the nourishing benefits of it, we need to come to Jesus and believe in him this way. The way John's been telling us. Jesus Christ is God the Son and has come from heaven to give himself totally in order to provide for you completely. So when he says, come and have breakfast at the end of the gospel, it's to capture your imagination. A little meal that is meant to point beyond itself to remind you he's the one who provides everything. Even the bits of work you do, you've only been able to do it because he's provided for you in those ways. He's building a window, if you like, through which you can see him. So you're drawn to him. What do we do with this? Uh, John's told us his... His reason for writing these things, he says these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. He's saying if you want to know God, if you want to live under his blessing, if you're someone who thinks, do you know what, I I want to know this God, I, I want to know what life's about, I want to find the kind of life that God says that he's, he's got on offer for us, then know that that life is a life that's focused on Jesus Christ. There's no other way to get it. It's only through him. No other way. And what will believing in him look like? If you're going to believe in this, Jesus, what, what will it look like? Here, here's a couple of things just to think about from this. Look, if, if Jesus is the, if he is the all-knowing God, if he's the one who knows everything, then believing in him, if I trust in him, it's got to be shown in doing what he says. If he knows everything, then he's able to put everything that I need to know into his words. So if I'm someone who says I I believe in him, it will always show itself in beginning to do what he says. If I really do trust him and believe in him, I've got to hear his words and want to do it. The the person who's, who's always looking for a way to avoid that is always looking for an excuse, always looking for a way out, doesn't yet really believe in him. And the other thing is that if you do believe in him, those who believe in him will be genuinely drawn to him. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows every word. He knows every thought. And that's deeply unsettling at times. Because we know we're not good. 
I sometimes want to avoid people who know things about me. But if you, if you know Jesus as a self-giving provider, if you know what he's like in that way, and he's given himself to pay, to pay for those things, if you know that, you'll be drawn to him. You've come to him. You come to him for forgiveness, for his, for his help, for strength to live for him. And time with him will begin to feel like a meal that nourishes. I don't know how you, you feel about that, but I, I hear some of these words at the end of John's Gospel, and I, I begin to think, I wish I knew him better like that. I wish I saw Jesus more clearly in that way. How, how can I get to know him more like that? How can I believe in him more like that? It's a funny thing, isn't it? You, you look at the disciples not spotting Jesus, and you think, come on. He's just a bit slow. You've already met him a few times. How can you not recognize him standing in the show? We all got it straight away. And then you realize about yourself, not often I don't spot him at all. I live ignoring him. You begin to think about these disciples. Were they a bit slow? When did they spot him? When was their swift sunrise moment? John doesn't seem to say it was when the sun came up. It wasn't that kind of sunrise. No, you read it again and you understand it was when they heard and began to believe his word. That's when John got it. As they heard his word calling out to them and they began to believe it, boom, the lights came on. Do you want to see him clearly? Do you want your heart to be drawn to him so you know him and you come close and you live for him? Well, then keep doing what you're doing today. Come each Sunday and hear his word. He'll speak to you. Get involved with your small group. Come along, even when you're tired, hear his word, sit with others and listen to him. During the week as you open the Bible and you say, Lord Jesus, please will you speak to me? Help me to hear your voice and to do what he says. And I wonder if even this morning, as you've heard his word, it's been like a, a swift sunrise over green fields and you've begun to see him again, just in your mind and your heart, the Lord Jesus standing on the shore and you're drawn to him, the all-knowing Lord, the self-giving provider. And you might have all sorts of other things that you feel at the moment, all sorts of things that feel a bit of a mess, but this morning as you trust him, we're going to share in a moment a meal at the Lord's table. And before we do anything else, you hear him say, come and remember in the meal that I've provided, my life that I gave for you. Come and have breakfast. It's not a funny way to end, is it? As soon as you read this, you realize it's actually the perfect way to begin. It's the perfect way to begin a Sunday. Perfect way to begin the week ahead. It's the perfect way to go on living, trusting the all-knowing Lord and the self-giving provider. Let's stop there. We're going to have a moment just to be quiet, think about these things, and talk to the Lord, and then Steve will lead us on.
So this Jesus who knows us thoroughly, this Jesus who provides for us completely,